You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. What a great joy it is to come to God's word together this morning. For those who don't know me, as Pastor Martin has said, uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. I've been on team now for nearly five years. Can't believe it. I know. And uh, yeah, crazy. I've been doing it since I was 12, so haven't really. I shouldn't say that as a joke, because to be fair, I can't really grow any facial hair, so I still do look very young. Try and just pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> Last week, it was so beautiful to celebrate Easter and to celebrate the risen king, the one who came back, who said that death even could not hold him down. And that death had lost its thing. When we celebrate Easter, it's so significant. I'm so grateful. I'm thankful for all the beautiful things around Easter. I'm thankful for chocolate too and all of those wonderful things. I'm not going to throw those out. But I'm so thankful that as a follower of Jesus, Easter is so, so much more than that. Amen. That we have an eternal hope that we rejoice in and celebrate in. See, the resurrection of Jesus is so significant because it's God the Father and the Holy Spirit's amen to Jesus's it is finished on the cross. They said a resounding amen as Jesus rose again from the grave. You see, in the resurrection, it's the Father and the Spirit confirming everything that Jesus had said and taught on earth. That Jesus is who he says he is. That he has the power of death and life. That he is the great I am. Showing that Jesus had power and authority, not just over demons, even though that's amazing. Not just power and authority over the wind and the waves, even though that is amazing in itself. Not just power and authority over sickness, but Jesus has all authority. And so he has power and authority over life and death itself. This is our Jesus. The resurrection testifies that he is Lord. It changed everything. The resurrection, it changed everything. And it opened the door to life for those who put their trust in Jesus. And I am so grateful for that because 2,000 years on, I stand here and our family and my life has been redeemed because of this risen Savior. Can anyone else say they've been changed and transformed by the risen Jesus? That's why I get up here and I try and be normal, but I get excited straight away. Straight away. Because the Lord is so kind. I look back and I think, where would my life be without this risen Savior? The one who came and captivated my heart. Who came and he won me. Where would my family be without him? My, my parents are actually sat here today. Many of you know them. We, we've come to a family as a church, but let me tell you, they would not be sat here today. I'm not sure my dad would even be alive if it were not for the risen king. And we haven't got time to go into that story today. I'm sure you'd want to hear it. But it's powerful because the risen king, the resurrection life, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is alive and at work today. That's why every time I come to church, I'm excited. I'm excited because I know That the risen king wants to come and meet his people. I've gone off my notes. I'm so sorry. Because the risen king wants to come and meet with you. 
If you've come to just tick a religious box today, that's okay. But let me tell you, if you open your heart even a little bit to the risen king, he can come and meet you right where you are. And he is a God that does not want to meet you with anger. He doesn't want to meet you with a rebuke. He wants to meet you with his love and his grace that changes and transforms. The grace that will take you from here and teach you every day what it is to walk in the fullness of life that he has won for you. So that's my intro. Amen. Let's give God praise. I'm so thankful for this new life. And I pray God would deposit someone in our hearts today. And today I want to look at the first day of Jesus' resurrection to see what he's doing, see who he's meeting and understand what that means for us today. And I understand last week Pastor Esther talked a little bit about this, of how Jesus appeared first to a group of female disciples, including Mary Magdalene, who finally recognizes the risen Jesus when he says her name. And this is beautiful. Jesus then disappears, and Mary and the others run back to tell of Jesus being alive. And and some of the men, they run back, and they go and see the empty grave, and they're not really sure what to believe or what's going on. I'm trying to figure out what has happened, but I'm not yet convinced that Jesus has risen. They're afraid and they're confused. We see a very, very human response from this incredible, transforming moment. They don't get it yet. They don't get it. They don't get what Jesus has done. And this is where I want to pick up this morning on Luke's account. Because Jesus then appears to two disciples as they're traveling out of Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Seven miles from Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. And Jesus appears to these two disciples. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. We're going to read quite a few verses. So if you do have a Bible, it would be great so you can follow along. It will be on the screen too. But maybe you want to highlight some things or make notes for yourself. And if we're making notes today, my title is simply this. The road to Emmaus, walking with the risen Lord. Walking with the risen Lord. So Luke 24, verse 13, tells us this. Now that same day, so this is Resurrection Sunday, the first Easter, the same day that Jesus has appeared to these disciples It says the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I love this, just casually slipping into the conversation. I don't know how Jesus did this or why it wasn't strange for the disciples. Don't know if you've ever done this in town. Just try to, oh, hello, what are you guys chatting about? Maybe it will change our response this time. My response maybe would pretend to be on the phone or run. But now maybe it was Jesus trying to. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. Jesus. Love it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I can imagine Jesus like. <laughs> he was a prophet, 
powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In our addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, that they had seen, sorry, visions of angels who said he was alive. But some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on if he was going further. I love this. Where was Jesus going? Just pretending like he's going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. Great move, disciples. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What an incredible story this is. On the first Easter Sunday... On the day Jesus was raised to life, we have this beautiful encounter on the road to Emmaus. And the first thing that I want us to see from this walk with the risen Lord is simply this, that Jesus wants to join us on the journey. Jesus wants to join us on the journey. Now, this might seem small, but I consider this deeply powerful. Because the risen Jesus, who's just brought to fulfillment, Hundreds of prophecies, who's just defeated death and the enemy, the evil one. He's just conquered sin on the cross, and he's been raised to life again. This Jesus, who could have had kind of an incredible, crazy, you know, if I imagine it, maybe I've watched too many Marvel films. He could have, like, crashed down in Jerusalem. Everyone's scared, like, whoa, what's going on? But what Jesus does is so telling of who he is. You see, he first appears to a group of women, and we heard it last week because it was in a society where women were viewed as less than, and he gently reveals himself to them. And then he goes on to appear to these two random disciples, one that we hear of as Cleopas, and he might be mentioned once more in Scripture, but we're not really sure. And then a disciple is not even named, not even in the 11, who'd been right in the thick of it with Jesus, following him and walking with him. Jesus, on his big day, the day when, wow, he's alive, he's risen, where he's the talk of the town, he spends hours walking on this obscure road with these obscure disciples. 
people that I mentioned once and never again. And this is the heart of Jesus, our Savior. See, you might be here and you might feel unlovable. You might be here and you feel like, I'm not right in the thick of it. Great if Jesus wants to be with those that are here and lead in worship or because, you know, that, that would be great. I think that's what Jesus wants to do. And Jesus is here today and he would say through his word, I see you. I see you. I see you right where you are. I see you right now in this moment where you feel insecure or unlovable or unnoticeable or like you've never done anything that actually would give you worth before God. Let me tell you, none of us have. None of us have. You might feel like you're on the fringe or you're not important or you don't really get all of this Jesus stuff. Well, let me tell you, those disciples didn't either. They were trying to figure it out. They still thought he was this prophet and and their hope had been killed at the cross because they thought it was all over. You see, he wants to join you on the journey no matter what you feel like your status is before men. No matter how many followers you've got on Instagram, or how obscure you might feel, or how lonely you might be in the week, or how much of a smile you're putting on today, Jesus sees you, and he loves you, and he wants to join you right now on the journey. In this moment, he doesn't want you to wait to get it all together. He doesn't want you to try and build up some accolades, or some spiritual strength, or gusto. He says, I love you right now. And even on resurrection day, the day when everyone's talking about me, I would choose to be with you. I would choose to be with you. So he comes right where you are. But also, wherever you're at. You see, these disciples, I don't think they would have been great company, to be honest. You see, it tells us, we read that as Jesus joins them, they stood still, their faces downcast. They were were clearly upset. They were confused. They were scared. It hadn't turned out the way it expected, that it expected it to. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe a smiling face hides a hurting heart. And in a place of confusion and worry, you you feel like you need to pull back or no one sees you. Maybe you've come to church many times, but you figured out perfect timing so you can slip in, not chat to anyone, even ghost past the stewards. And just at that final song, you can just sneak out before anyone sees you. And you might feel in this place of despair and hopelessness and obscurity. And the beautiful truth is that Jesus, just as as much as he wants to journey with anyone else, he wants to join your journey. And he wants to journey with you. No matter who you are, or no matter where you're at, or how big your emotion might feel, or even if you're angry and disappointed with Jesus himself, he says, I want to journey this with you. As I've sat with this text, I also saw another aspect of this. As I tried to imagine these disciples walking from Jerusalem, verse 29 tells us, by the time they get there, it's nearly dark. I went to Google to Google how long it would take you to walk seven miles. I could have just timed it and did it, but I chose not to. (laughs) Now, it's two hours and 20 minutes from this random website, forgive me if that's wrong, for the average walker. Anyone a fast walker here? Some people have asked me, yeah, my wife, I'm trying to enjoy life, just have a gander along. My wife's doing it like it's a military exercise. (laughs) Anyone else got someone like that in their family? The Lord blessed me with it multiple times. My dad's like it as well. Just try and piggyback him. He doesn't even notice. 
It's two hours and 20 minutes. This seven-mile walk, and Jesus is unpacking the scriptures. So over two hours, he's with them. But by the time they reach Emmaus, it's getting nearly dark. So I imagine them hours before. This starts, and we can imagine in Jerusalem, kind of around Passover, March or April time, it would have been decent weather, nice weather. So I imagine them walking as the day starts to cool. These two disciples and Jesus joins them on their journey. And as I sat with this, it reminded me something way back in the beginning. You see, in Genesis 3.8, it's going to come on the screen. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, this was told of Adam and Eve right at the beginning, right in creation. Now, what I see is a God who desires to walk and talk with his people all along. But you see, the consequence of this walk and this talk was that Adam and Eve had been disobedient. We heard all about it last week, that the fruit of this garden, it was of sin and it was of death because of the choices humanity had made. They turned their back on God. And I love it that when the price of sin is paid for, that when redemption has come around, when the new covenant has begun, day one, God himself in Jesus Christ is back again, walking with his people. Walking and talking with his people. Just as he designed it, just as he purposed it. That God would be there with his people. This walk doesn't end now with separation. We know the story, we've read it. It ends with reconciliation because of what Jesus has done. This doesn't end like Genesis. This looks very different. But it's the same God. The same God who wants to journey with his people. God and humanity to walk together again. This is something I've experienced time and time again in my life in beautiful ways. I remember when I was a teenager, we didn't, I didn't grow up really going to church, but we went to church at a certain point, and it's part of our story. And I saw God break into our family powerfully. And so I kind of grow up, grow up from the age of eight or nine, knowing that God is real, knowing that he exists and he, and he loves people and, and his grace and his resurrection power has the power to transform because I saw it with my own eyes. But I went through my teenage years and and there was things that God asked, and you don't, I didn't want that. And I found it tough. I was, I was grappling with the idea of God and the idea of Jesus and, and who he was and what he wanted for my life. And, and, but, but so many others were going a different way, and I, I was stuck. And I was in this place. I was 15. I was confused. I, I didn't really know what to do. There were some things, a number of things that weren't great in my life. I was causing lots of tension at home. I remember my parents, uh, we went away. We stayed in a little place, a little village in the Lake District. So obscure, out away from anyone. Now this, for a teenager, this was torture. Maybe the teenagers are all upstairs, so I can talk freely. But that is not the teenager's idea of fun. We were in a place where the post office, the guy in the post office would put a sign on the door like, be open around three, you know, that, that sort of place. We had a little dog, and my parents and my sister, they wanted to go out for the day and have a nice time and fun, and I was just like, <clears throat> no, I will stay. My parents were like, okay, you can stay as long as you give the dog a little walk. So I was like, oh, fine. So here I am in just kind of my grapple with God. And in this tiny little village, 
I was walking down. I took the dog for a walk. And I had my headphones in. I was listening to the Lord knows what, literally. And as I was walking, I walked on this little beach. No one, not a soul to be seen. And as I was coming back, there was a lady walking past. And you know when you've got headphones in, but someone's clearly trying to get your attention as well? Anyone been there? No, just me. And I was very tempted to completely ignore this woman. Not going to lie. That wasn't just the teenager trait. It's still the same today. <laughs> Confession. And as this woman kind of beckoned me, I took one of my headphones out. And she simply said to me, she said, are you a Christian? Oh, are you a Christian? How dare you ask me? <laughs> and I kind of like stuttered out because I weren't really sure of my answer, to be honest. I'd grown up knowing that God's alive and he's real, but I weren't really sure. I'm about all this Jesus business. But I thought, no, I'll say it. So I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here I am, this teenager. I'm sure to this woman as well, it's probably scary, even though I had a Justin Bieber haircut, it's fine. And she says, are you Christian? I say, yes. And then she simply says to me, I felt God put so strongly in my heart. Bear in mind, there's no one around. No one around. This random place, this random village. And she says to me, I just want to tell you that God loves you so passionately and so fiercely, and he sees you right now. I was recounting this to my wife yesterday, and it gets me every time. Every time that I tell this story. Every time that I think back to it, because it's the goodness of my God who saw me right where I was, doing nothing of worth and value to him, not serving his kingdom, not serving his people, not loving others well, and yet he saw me and he says, I want to join you on the journey. Why? Because I love you with an everlasting love. And I love you the same in this moment as I will do, even when you're, you're doing some things that are okay for me. I love you. And I remember putting my headphones on and walking the dog. I thought, I'm not going to tell my parents because they'll say they were right all along. <laughs> but the Lord broke in in that moment and taught me a lesson about his love and his grace. Hey, let's love our young people well. Let's love them well. Love them with an unrelenting kindness. Because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Not your judgment. It's not. It's not your righteousness. It's the kindness of our beautiful Savior. It doesn't mean that we don't bring truth. We bring truth, that's okay, but make sure it's manifest in the grace of God. This is our God. He wants to join us on the journey. We see from the road to Emmaus that he wants to join us. And secondly, that Jesus revives our heart through his word. Jesus revives our heart through his word. In verse 32, at the end of this encounter, it says, They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he explained to them what was said through all the scriptures concerning himself. What a Bible study this would have been. Well, I want to be there. This is very different to some other sermons we hear of. Paul, he preached a sermon. Someone fell asleep in it, fell out of the window and died. You can read that. <laughs> he then raised them from the dead. That was awesome. But Jesus, he's explaining. He's going through the Old Testament scriptures, explaining how they point to the Messiah. They don't even know it's Jesus yet. 
But something, we see that their hearts are burning within them as the word is brought to them. We understand that over 300, and that can be conservatively, prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus. I don't know where Jesus first started. He probably started right at the beginning. And then he took them through Moses, through the prophets. It would have been incredible. And they're just kind of amazed at this. He begins to open the word to them, explaining the purposes of God. Now, I believe that Jesus wouldn't have spent time doing this if it didn't matter. For me, again, it importance the highlights of digging into our word. Getting to grips with this beautiful word that is alive and active and has the power to transform. And as he does so, as he speaks the word, something was happening in their hearts. Were not our hearts burning within us? Fire is a sign of life. It's a sign of passion. Something's beginning to come alive again that was absent for them. What do I think's being stirred? What do I think's being revived? I think it's faith. Faith in their hearts. Faith is simply trust in God. They were afraid. They were hopeless. They'd seen the one that they believed in be crucified. And yet, in this moment, through the word of God, by Jesus' spirit, something is being brought alive. Faith is being stirred again in your hearts. And today, I believe for some of us, God wants to come again and stir faith in our hearts to a place that might be dead. I want you to go from here and to say, surely our hearts were burning within us. Because Jesus himself might come and minister his word to you. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is this verse in action. How beautiful that we might not physically have the Savior walking alongside us, but we can still have this same powerful encounter with Jesus through his word and by his spirit. That faith would be stirred in our hearts, in a place of hopelessness, in places of despair, in places of darkness, that the Lord himself would come and stir faith again to those embers in your heart that he would breathe life. By his word. His word is powerful. His word is significant. Question is, do we seek to grapple and understand? Do we seek to listen to God's word? Have our hearts become cold because we refuse to listen? We might hear, but are we listening? How are we responding to God's word? I'm a visual learner, so I like to imagine this happening in our hearts. So go with me for a moment. Imagine there are three different rooms. No, in fact, four different rooms in your heart. And each room has a preacher. And so in the different rooms, there's different voices trying to get our attention and tell us and dictate to us the state of our own hearts, but also how we then live and how we act. And, and the first room that I want to visit, the preacher there, is the room of circumstance. The room of circumstance. See, these guys were walking along. Their circumstance was dictating to them what was happening. It's it. This is the end. It's over. J Jesus is dead. You're hopeless. There's no hope left. And you might be in a place where the preacher of your circumstance, the voice of your circumstance is the loudest voice in the room. All you can hear and all you can see is what is going on in your life. And it's starting to disturb your faith. Maybe it's, it's starting to hurt you. 
And a room that is linked and the preacher that is linked often to the place and the voice of circumstance is the voice of our emotions. Because of what's happening, you should feel anxious. Because of what's happening, you should feel despair. Because of what's going on, ah, just give up. There's no hope in this. Sometimes it's not linked at all to the voice of circumstance. And you can be in a great time, in a great season, and that the voice and the room of emotion is shouting loud. Then we have the voice of others. You can imagine a tiny little version of, of maybe a teacher or a sibling or a spouse, and the words that they can say can resound in our ears. And it can impact us. And, and let me not try and pretend that all of these things are negative all of the time. They're not. And let me also say that these things shouldn't just be ignored. But the way that I love to imagine it is this, is that we get the the room and the voice and the preacher in the place of circumstance. We say, come on, follow me. And we go to the the voice and the preacher of emotion and we say, come on, follow me. And we say to these voices that are around us uh, and the, the voices of people that have spoken over us, we say, come on, come with me. Because we have another room in our hearts and we have another preacher And I believe that as we meditate and consider the word of God, as we sit on his word, as we bring it, we give fuel to this room. Because this room is the place of faith. This room is the place where Jesus himself is the preacher. And we invite all of these things and we say, come on, listen to what he's got to say. Listen to what he has got to say. And so this place that was once cold, this place that was faithless, because all I could hear was the rooms here, the voices here. I'm saying, come on, come with me. You're going to listen to what Jesus has to say. And in this place, our circumstance, yes, it can still be a challenge. And I don't want to deny that. Our emotions are valid and they're real. But hey, we bring them to this place of encounter with Jesus. Who is preaching on the pulpit of your heart? What word are you feeding into this place? Because in that place, faith arises. Even when our circumstance doesn't change, or the other voices don't change, even when our emotions are struggling to get in line, let's still keep bringing it to the place of encounter with Jesus, to the room of faith. Some of our hearts have gone cold to God gone cold to his ways and to his people. And I believe he wants to come today and bring life afresh. There are big and heavy things going on in people's worlds, and I do not deny that. But let me tell you, there is a word for you today. There is a word. Come and find something. Come and dig into his word because Jesus revives our hearts with his word. He revives our heart, a word for every moment and a word for every season. Jesus comes to revive our hearts with his word. Jesus is there with us on the journey. He is speaking and he has spoken. But the question is, are we listening? And finally, the final point I want to make today as I invite the band to join me, is Jesus waits for us to welcome him. Jesus waits for us to welcome him. In verse 29, we read, but they urged him strongly. Jesus was about to carry on, and they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And then it says, so Jesus went to stay with them. 
He responds to their invitation. He responds to their welcome. Yes, Jesus comes close so you can get a taste of his goodness. His word can even bring something alive in your heart, but he doesn't impose himself. They welcome him. They want him to stay. And in verse 29, it says that because of this, as they invited him here, as he broke bread, something supernatural happened and their eyes were opened. They saw Jesus for who he really was. But note the importance of their urgency for him to say, stay with us. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't impose himself. He waits for your welcome. Then they go from there proclaiming the risen Lord. That seven-mile walk, they run it back to go and tell the disciples. And it's a preach for a different day, but burning hearts mean that we have beautiful feet to go and share the good news. If we spend time, really spend time with Jesus, then there's something going to be burning in our hearts that we can't wait to proclaim. If you want to grow in faith and audacity and sharing your faith, spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Some of us have invited Jesus many years ago, but are not inviting him or welcoming him now into situations in our life. We're closing the door to Jesus and the truth of his word and and his ways. And let me urge you, even in this moment, to say, Lord, forgive me. I want to welcome you again. I want to welcome you into this circumstance, even though I feel, Lord, hurt, actually. I feel hurt. And I feel upset even towards you, God. I'm going to invite you in because I can't do this without you. Jesus walks and he listens and then he invites us to invite him into our world. He never forces himself. He has given us free will and the choice is there for us to make whether we receive him or not. Revelation 3.20, I felt this so strongly on my heart. Powerful verses says this, here I am. This is Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus, he stands at the door and he knocks today. Some of us, we we're hearing about the risen king. We've, uh, something's been, been stirred in our hearts and faith, but we've never responded to this Jesus. We've never welcomed him in. And I believe on the other side of our welcome, there's a fresh revelation of the lordship of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done in our lives. I'm going to invite us to stand in this place today. This is our beautiful, risen Savior. I'm going to invite us to just close our eyes where we are so that we are focusing on Him. For those that know they've been impacted and and knowing that there's truth in the gospel and, and know that you've been provoked in some way by Jesus but you've never welcomed Him, I want to give you opportunity to do so today. Maybe you've never opened the door. You're hearing the knocking of the Savior but you've never opened the door then I'm going to invite you today to respond to him. And in a moment, we're going to come in worship, and I would love to invite you to come forward if that's you. The first line of this song as we sing, to come forward, and nothing strange is going to happen. We'd love to simply give you a gift and just pray with you. 
and encourage you on your journey as you respond to Jesus. But others of us here in the room today, we need the Lord to revive a fresh fire in our hearts. I invite us, let's close our eyes around the room. But if you know today, you need the Lord to revive something, to bring fresh life into your hearts, I'm going to invite you to raise your hands, to lift your hands high to heaven. Hallelujah. Many of us across the room. Hallelujah. To reach them out, to say, Lord, I need you. I'm inviting you in again. And so, Lord, we pray, come by your spirit and stir a fresh faith in this room today. Stir a fire within our hearts because, Lord, we say we need you. We need you, Lord. Why not say that? I need you, Jesus. Resurrection power, we pray, come and move in this place. Come and minister your word. Come and bring life in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.